All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord and worship with the people of the Lord. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for the treasure that the body of Christ is, the gathering of your saints, Lord, I know is just well-pleasing in your eyes. And Lord, I pray tonight as we get into your word, I pray that this would not be um, a routine or a habit or a custom or a tradition, but this would be interacting with you, Lord, your very presence. Lord, you tell us that the veil that separated man from you was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And so we have full access, Lord, and we want to be in your presence tonight, Lord. We want to experience, Lord, the fullness of who you are, at least the best we can, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray that um, your word would not return void or empty. We pray that the gates of Hades would not stop your church, Lord. We pray that the church would be hungry for you, Lord, hungry for your word. We would be desperate for you, Lord. Do that work in us. Do that work in our body, Lord. Help us, Lord, to just not want anything else, Lord. We just want you, Lord. You are enough. You are sufficient. You are everything. And so, Lord, we trust that you'll answer our prayers tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, before you sit down, can you say hello to someone, please? All right, come on in, everybody. Have a seat. All right. Well, good evening, everybody. If you have your Bibles... Go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, and the plan is to finish tonight, and uh, we should be able to do that, Lord willing, always, of course, right? You know, uh, I realized, I was was talking to uh, one of my pastor buddies, and um, we were talking about our studies tonight and what we're going to cover, and and uh, he said, man, I can't, can't believe you can do like two chapters. I'm like, well, it doesn't always happen. But it really depends on how fast I get out of the chute. And uh, if I, I, I already in my mind when I'm spending too much time on verse 1 and 2, I'm already thinking in my mind I'm not going to make it. So verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These are some fantastic verses. We land right in this spot where it says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to you, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Why is the Apostle Paul saying this? What, if you remember last time, He's dealing with the church that was birthed through him, through the word that he preached, and they grew through the discipleship that he gave them, the teaching of the word. And when he left, false prophets came in, and they 
undermined the character of Paul. Very interesting as this is Satan's strategy to stop the work of God is often to undermine the message by undermining the person giving the message. And so that's what they're doing with Paul. And they're saying terrible things about him, untrue things. But it, it was working for some in the church. For some in the church, it was actually working because they were carnal and not spiritual. Because they had not come to a place in their personal walks where they were able to decipher and discern the things of God because they were not relinquishing their will. They still wanted their will to happen. And because of that, then they, the, they were described as carnal or fleshly. They're, they're just in the flesh. And because of that, they had all sorts of problems going on in the church, and that's what happens when we're fleshy. And Paul didn't give up on them. Paul even, he, he's writing to them. He went to them twice. The, the, second, the first time was to establish a church. The second time was to rebuke them and correct them, and it didn't go well. He's going to go a third time. But the, the, the answer for them was that if, if they were going to thrive in what God has for them and be all that God had called them to be, then they needed to be spiritual, led by the Spirit, surrendered to God, and not just doing their own thing. And so what Paul is doing here in this first verse, which we're going to have to get through very quickly, he is... He's, he's giving another defense. You remember last time we, we looked at, he was giving a defense and he said, I have to deal with this folly. I'm about to give you some folly. In, in other words, he was saying, this is ridiculous that I, I have to actually give you my credentials. That I, I have to sit here and, and tell you because they, they knew him. They were born again because of how God used him. But they were seeing Paul, because of these false prophets, as weak, as unattractive, as not influential, not popular, not the poster child of someone you'd want to be the poster child for the church at Corinth. The false prophets were saying, look how weak he is. Look how small he is. Look how uh, his, his teaching is, is so horrible. His voice is not charismatic and like they want, like they like. And, and so, so the, the Corinthians, they're carnal and they're starting to say, well, he's not a real disciple of God. He's not a, a real man of God. But they weren't pointing to anything of substance, it was all the outward appearance. And so Paul, if you remember last week, his defense was his sufferings. Their idea was that if God is blessing you and working in your life, you become almost like a Greek God. Paul was pointing out the authenticity of his, his faith and his message 
was not that he was exalted to almost a Greek god status, but it was exactly the opposite. That he was lowered through suffering. And that was a true credential, not a worldly exaltation of himself. And that I pointed out last week, that's exactly what we see in our day and age. Where people may not even be able to handle it and probably won't go to a church that doesn't look in the world's eyes as successful. And Paul is saying, my credentials are my suffering. My credentials are your salvation, that you, the Corinthians, are the epistles. You're the letters. You're my letters of confirmation of the reality of who I am. But look what he's doing now. Now he's saying, well, I'm going to give you my last defense. I didn't, he's saying, I didn't want to pull this out. But he's going to talk about revelations and visions. And he's doing this in a way to defend who he is. So in verse 2, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago. So this is something never mentioned, we never heard about. And Paul has been knowing this for 14 years. Seems like he never wanted to talk about it. But now he's forced to. And and in verse 1 where it says, it is doubtless, that's not a really good translation. A better translation would be it's necessary. It's it's necessary. So so now he's like, now you're forcing me to do this to show my credentials, and I'm going to do it, but please, please understand the reason I'm doing it is so that you know that I'm true and I'm real. So he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up in the third heaven. So he's starting to give us his testimony. He had an experience. And this would be about the seventh sort of supernatural revelation type of thing that Paul would have where God showed him something through a vision or a revelation. I don't know if I can remember all of them, but just uh, one was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. When he got to Damascus, there was a, uh, he had a vision of Ananias, someone that would come and help him because he was blind He had a a vision to go to Macedonia. A man of Macedonia showed up in a a dream or a vision or a revelation to get him to go to Macedonia. Um, He had in Corinth, he had a revelation after he preached in the synagogue and was rejected by the Jews He had a vision not to stop preaching because there are more people in Corinth that weren't Jews that would receive and hear the message, and that was the Corinthians here. There was, when he was in Jerusalem, and the Jews started to riot because of the things that he said and started to 
kill him. And the Roman garrisons, uh, garrison grabbed him. The Roman army grabbed him and put him in prison to keep him safe. He had a vision there that he would end up in Rome. He had a, another, I think that's five. He had another vision when he was on the ship going from Corinth to Rome that when the ship was about to crash that they were going to make it and get to the other side. And then we have this vision that he's explaining. Now, so the question is, Paul is, is, is talking about this vision. He hadn't talked about it uh, in, for 14 years. Now he's talking about it. Why does God show some people visions like this and other people not? Why do some people have uh, God speak to them in certain ways and, and other people not? Or maybe you could say, how come God's sort of talked to me or spoken to me or revealed himself to me once or twice? But in the Bible, we see like Paul's, that, that's happening a lot more than that. And th- these are just the ones recorded, so we don't know if there are many more. But what we find here is that God will reveal himself to each individual to the degree that it's necessary for that to happen. So if you uh, remember in in chapter 11, if you look at verse 22 through 33, we're not going to read that. But you just get an idea of 2 Corinthians 2, 11, 22 through 33. That's Paul's, all of Paul's sufferings, that section of scripture. And as he's talking about these sufferings, none of us have gone through all of those things. I don't know all of you, but I'm pretty sure none of us have gone through all of those things. Paul did. Now, what would it take for someone that God used to bring about and spread the church through so much opposition and difficulty and trial and to keep going? Well, now we're finding out. Because this is is what helped Paul keep going, what we're seeing here. He saw heaven. How might your life change in trials if you actually got to see heaven? I'm here to tell you it would change everything. You would be willing to do anything, go anywhere, because you would know what awaits you. And as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, These light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the future glory that will be revealed in us. So because, I believe, because of what God had called Paul to do, and in Acts chapter chapter 9, it actually says that he would be called to suffer many hardships. It was because of his calling that he had the degree of revelations and insights that he had. And so I believe God still does this. I know many of you have had visions and the Bible says in the last days, Joel chapter 2 tells us that that God will do works like this. But sometimes people think that you can go to a conference and have this happen. 
And what we see in the Bible is that it's going to happen when necessary, especially to the one who's going to suffer most for the kingdom of God. They're probably going to have the, the most revelation because they need it. He says he was caught up in the third, the sky above us, right? So that's the first heaven. The second heaven is beyond that sort of out, outer space. So where we would see the Milky Way and we can fly to in a rocket. You'd have to have a rocket for that. A good way to look at that is, is maybe the, the first heaven is what how far you can go in an airplane. And the second is how far, or you can't go in an airplane, you'd have to have a rocket for that. And then the third heaven is just simply where God exists, where God is. So... He's saying, I was caught up in the third heaven. You can't go there. God has to take you there. So he's caught up to the third heaven. He's bringing this information out to help them understand and get a perspective and realize his credentials. In verse 3, it says, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So that seems like a big thing for him. Like, man, I don't know if my body went up there. He keeps repeating that. Like, he was blown away by this. And, and it was, he doesn't know if he went in the body or not, but he starts off talking in the third person, and then we know he's talking about that in verse 3 when he says, and I know such a man. And it says in verse 4 how he was caught up. The word caught up is the same word that we use for rapture or harpazo in the Greek and rapturo is in the Latin. But it basically, it's, it just means snatched up quickly. Sort of that's the way, the way the rapture is described. And he says he was caught up into paradise. This third heaven is called paradise. This word referred to a walled garden of a Persian king. These Persian kings would have these beautiful gardens that they would take strolls in, and they were just known for how amazingly beautiful they were. And if you were fortunate, the king would take a stroll with you through the garden. And he's describing what he's seeing in this way that he went up to the third heaven, he was caught up there, and he doesn't know if he's in the body or out of the body, but he was there, and, and he was in paradise. He was, it was in this uh, sort of, I get a picture of the Garden of Eden. And then he says, he heard, so there, he, he was hearing things that were inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for me to utter. Maybe that's why Paul was reluctant to share what was going on here. Because he's telling us that just what the part that he heard, he couldn't describe it properly. He said it would be, he used the word lawful, so it would be like illegal. He just means it would be so wrong for me to try to describe to you what I heard 
Because if I did, it would lessen, make it smaller than what it truly was. Words and descriptions, he, he is saying, can encapsulate what he experienced. He's just talking about the hearing part. It was so amazing and so beautiful and so wonderful, so unearthly. Nothing to compare it to. And so he, he, didn't, he didn't talk about it. He, he said, I was there, but now I'm being forced to talk about it. But I can't even tell you in a description what it was like. It was inexpressible. So you think about just beautiful sounds, beautiful music, beautiful, pleasing things to the ear that, that we can think of that this sounds so nice and sometimes music it just has such a, an ability to touch our soul and other parts of our area. And, and we don't know if it's music, but it was just something he heard. It was just, I can't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And then in verse 5, he says, Of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Remember, that's what his, he, he was going to brag, but he's not, he's not going to take credit. And this may be why he didn't want to talk about this, because he didn't want people to look at him in an a, a elevated way. Which I find interesting with many of the near-death experiences and those who say that they died and they went to heaven and they came back and they tell about it. So I, I don't know, you know, about some of those things, but if you put this, that through this grid, when Paul went there, he couldn't talk about it. And he wasn't anxious to talk about it. So something to think about. So he says, I'd rather talk about my weaknesses. In verse 6, he says, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears for me. Man, he was so conscientious of people not glorifying him or exalting him. I love that about Paul. And that should be something that we should always be thinking about in our own life. And especially when God begins to use us and it gets harder when God uses us to not take the glory, to not want to put ourselves out there and say, hey, look at all that I am doing. It's a big temptation. And Paul did just the opposite. If he boasted, he had boast in how terrible he was, how weak he was. Because that would bring glory to God because God would get the credit where it is due for how God used him. In verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. So he had abundance of revelations. That can have a tendency saying to have people look at me as some kind of extra special person. So God took care of him. 
by, it says, giving him a thorn in his flesh. That word thorn is not like a rose thorn that plucks you when you do your horticulture. It's a tent stake. So he says a, a, a tent stake in the flesh was given to him. Notice it was given. It's not a, a, like an accident or random. He shows the sovereignty of God and he, he says, there is this tent stake in my flesh. We don't know what it is. There's a lot of speculation, but we don't, nobody knows what it is. It, it could be he had problems seeing, he had uh, malaria. Um, it could be from the stonings that he had messed him up. We don't know. But the point is, something physically, and, and the fact that it's a tent stake is pretty radical. And it was given to him, so given to him, Purposely, it says, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure. So the suffering that he went through physically was meant to keep him humble and dependent on God. Because it would be so easy to start thinking of oneself, say from Paul's vantage point, thinking of himself as he's really got something other people don't. The minute he would start thinking that would be the minute that he wouldn't have the power to do what God has called him to do. And so, so God in his wisdom knew what he needed to be an effective minister of the gospel to fulfill the calling that God had on his life. And so he gave him a physical affliction to keep him dependent on God. Now I find this fascinating because it would be easy for him to say, well, I can't do anything anymore because I have a physical affliction. I'm sick, I have a headache, I have a tent stake in my jaw, whatever. But he didn't see it like that. He didn't see a physical affliction, or it could be anything. He didn't see that as a reason to stop. He saw that as a reason. Remember, he's writing this. He saw it as a reason to keep going because God, through that, would keep him dependent on God, and that's where the power would be. See, Paul realized and knew he needed power. He couldn't just figure things out and come up with a spreadsheet and a flow chart and, and then do the ministry. He needed power. He needed something only God can give him. He needed something beyond earth, beyond ability of humans and so he needed power in order for that power to be actualized and experienced in his life he had to be weak because the minute pride sets in the minute is the minute that the power is gone so he says in verse 8 concerning this thing i pleaded with the lord 
three times that it might depart from me. So he did pray, Lord, man, take this tent stake out of my whatever. And tent stake is probably a metaphor. So whatever it is, Lord, please take it away. And it said he pleaded. So it it wasn't like he just casually threw a prayer out. And also it says he just did that three times over 14 years, which is interesting. But I think because there, there were certain times, the fact that he said three times in 14 years, he asked the Lord to take it away. He probably got into a place where he just thought he was at the breaking point. I can't handle this anymore. And surely the Lord would hear my prayer and I'm going to pray, Lord, please, I can't take this anymore. Take this away. And God answered his prayer. How? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, he's saying, what you have going on physically I have given you all that you need to be able to continue on and be okay with what you have going on. God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So that's it, that's it right there. So you might want to circle that or highlight that because that is so important to our church. The, the success of our church relies on that verse right there. And if we depart from that, then we will not be what God has called us to be. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So that means that God can do amazing things through us because we are weak. Most of us, we all know, I think, hopefully, we're weak. We think, what are we doing How could this be possible? And yet, God does it. And God continues to do that. And that is the amazing thing about the body of Christ. It's because He does it, not us. And then He gets the glory, and we all stand in awe, amazed at what the Lord is doing. This is it. A little secret. Every time I walk from there to up here, I repeat that to myself because I never feel adequate enough to be here in this seat. And I'm always reminding myself, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. He says, therefore, because of that, I gladly, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So you want power? We have to have the power to do the ministry, to serve God and to minister to the people of God. We have to have the power. It doesn't matter how big of a thing you're doing or how little of a thing you're doing. You have to have the power. And God promises to work His power through us if we will allow Him to do that, recognizing that nothing can happen through us. And be careful of making the mistake of thinking that somehow, some way, that we can make something happen. And there are things that we can do. 
right? Without God at all. There are things that we can do, but we can't do anything spiritually. And that's what it means through man, nothing is possible, but through God, all things are possible. And what that means is like, it means to bring about the spiritual things. And that's what ministry is. That's what fruit is. It's bringing about spiritual things. So now we got to get an idea of why all the suffering he saw is contributing to the power. All those afflictions in chapter 11. And so in verse 10, he says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. That's really important. He's saying, because what I do is in obedience to God and serving God, then my act of serving God is bringing about these persecutions from the enemy, but the persecutions are simply adding to the power of God working through me. Look at that perspective, completely different perspective. So when he would suffer and go through hard things, he, he would actually rejoice. He's saying, this is awesome. Not because he was a masochist and, and loved to suffer. It was because he understood. It was be, probably because he saw heaven. And he saw what he is going through, not only contributing to his fruitfulness and effectiveness here on earth, he also saw his treasure in heaven building, building up. And so I believe that he always had in his mind that vision of heaven. And as he was being beaten almost to death, he'd think, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. One more. If they give me one more, I'll be there. And then they'd stop. they see, man. Then he'd be shipwrecked and almost drowning. Just stoned to death. And, but he's just so close. But he saw all of those things as contributing to the will of God. So in verse 11, he says, I have become a fool in boasting and you have completed me, compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you for in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles. That's what he's calling these. He's saying that sort of sarcastically, like these super duper false apostles that came and boasted about all that they are and all that they do and discounted Paul. He's saying, he's saying you should have defended me. You see that? He's saying when they came and, and began to attack me and attack my person, he said, you should have defended me. Why didn't you defend me? Why didn't you say, no, that's not how Paul is. No, that's not what Paul did here. No, that's not what we know about Paul. They didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? They were fleshly. They were susceptible. And so instead of commending Paul, he says, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles. In other words, they didn't have anything special, but he says, though I am nothing. Again, you can see the strain of like having to defend himself, but he's, he's like, I'm nothing, but I, I have to tell you some things about me because 
the message that God has given me is being undermined by what these people are lying to you about me. You could really feel how uncomfortable he is. In verse 12, he says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He's talking about what he did. He's reminding them of, a, of his ministry there. Verse 13, For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me of this wrong. He's talking about the fact that he didn't take money from them. And they even looked at that as like he's not legit because he didn't have exorbitant fees that these other false prophets came and they said, hey, we demand this amount of money. And it made them more legitimate. And Paul didn't because he didn't want to cause them to stumble. But then they even looked at that as looked at him as inferior because he didn't take money. In verse 14, it says, Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. In other words, I don't want what you can give me. I just want you. Isn't that interesting? The difference between a hireling, a fake, a fraud. I want something from you. Paul says, I don't want anything from you except for you. I want your blessing, your benefit. I want to promote you in the things of the Lord. And then he gives a little analogy. He says, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So speaking about inheritance, children don't give their parents inheritance. It should be the other way around. He's saying, Look, I just, I'm just coming to serve you and to give to you and to pour out my life to you. In verse 15, he says, And I will very, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So stop right there. Would that describe us? Would we be willing to be spent for another person's soul, for the betterment of of their soul, so that for the improvement of their walk with Jesus, would you be willing to spin yourself? And that's an interesting description, isn't it? He's saying, I, I just give everything. I'm, I'm willing to spill myself out for your faith in Christ and your walk in Christ. That's what the ministry is. Spinning yourself for other people's souls. And then he said, Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. That is so strange, isn't it? The more, Paul's saying, the more I pour out myself, this would sort of be a, a theme through his ministry, the more he poured himself out, the more people hated him. And the ones who he was closest with would often be the ones who would hate him the most. That's a weird thing. I don't have an answer for that other than Satan uses people to discourage people that are spending their life for others. In verse 16, But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, 
I caught you by cunning. That's what people are saying. So he's saying, some people are saying that I was deceitful and manipulative and and those sort of things. And he's pointing out the fact that I I didn't do any of those things and you, you, you guys know it. My testimony speaks for itself. Verse 17, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So they're saying that Paul sent Titus to rip him off. And he didn't. Verse verse 19, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Another good thing thing to think about in ministry is doing everything for somebody's edification. That means building up. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest, when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. So what are you saying? He's planning on coming again a third time. And this church, being fleshly and carnal, in verse 20, is a description of what a church looks like that's carnal. That's what it looks like. And Paul is saying, I don't want to come, I don't want to come when I come, I don't want to come and and have to deal with those things, rebuke you, call you out. But he's also saying, this can't continue to happen. And so he's saying, the answer is to repent. He's calling them out, telling them, look, you need to turn from these things, these selfish things. You need to repent of them or else when I come, you're not going to like the way I come. You're not going like, to like how I rebuke you and how I call you out on some of these things. But then he also points out that they're having problems with sexual immorality, which we saw in the first letter as well. And he's basically telling them, repent. And then we get to the last chapter. It looks like we're pretty good. I got out of the chute fairly quickly. But, but at, when we get to the end of this, don't look, don't look. I'm just kidding. Here's the great thing. Paul gives us the whole answer of how to fix this. Don't look, don't look. Chapter 13, verse 1. This will be the third time I am coming to you. 
By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. That's a quote in the law from Deuteronomy 19.15. And he's basically saying, I'm coming to you the third time. And as I come to this third time, this, I'm coming to judge if you don't repent. And I have the witness of me coming to you before. And if you don't repent, you're, you're indicted. You're not right before God. You're guilty. So he says, I have told you before, and I foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. I'm not messing around, he's saying. Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you? For though he was crucified in weakness, get that. So now he's pointing to Christ. You want to know the example I'm following, he's saying? My ministry, my weakness, the things that you don't like about me are exactly what people didn't like about Christ. His weakness, his willingness to sacrifice for other people. It says, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God of God towards us. The the example is Christ. He's saying, I'm following the example of Christ and the power that is, is coming in and through my life is from the weakness that I have in my flesh. And just as Christ lowered himself, he has the name above all names. It's in the humility, in the lowering, in the self denial, in the, Surrendering our life and our will to God, that the power of God works through our life. Verse 5 Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. So he's giving them a standard, the truth. He's saying, measure everything you see in my life, measure that by the truth. Not by hearsay, not by what other fancy teachers and people like that say. Measure it by the truth. The truth will set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is so important for us in these last days that we're able to measure everything by the truth. That we're able to evaluate 
what's going on and what somebody says by what the Word of God says. And this, this is Paul's appeal. And remember, he's, he's appealing to carnal, fleshly people who should be loving Paul but have come against him, have been deceived, have been caught up in this sort of net of deception And he's saying, hey, all you have to do is come back to the truth. Everything we did was according to the truth. Verse 9, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. That means mature. So Paul's aim and what he was willing to spend his his life out, just pour out everything, was for their maturity, their growth, their growth. And this is is the the passion of, of every believer in Christ, or it should be, that that we want to grow, that we're passionate, that that's our thing. We're passionate about growing, and we're passionate about seeing other people grow. In verse 10, he says, Therefore, I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. So part of God's calling in Paul's life and in those who are shepherds or often leaders within the church, part of that is to deal with people that are walking in sin, not to ignore that. And it's out of love and concern that a person is willing to do that. So here's here's how you fix the whole thing. 11 through 14, this is the whole thing. So he says, Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete. In other words, Focus on maturing. Focus on growing. If we're not focused on growing, we're going to end up being carnal, fleshly. Focus on growing. Then he says, be of good comfort. In other words, allow God to minister to our hearts, especially in these times of growth, because growth can hurt. Sanctification is another word for growth. It can be difficult sometimes. And God will comfort us as we go through these times of growth. Don't let anything get in your way or stop you from growing in the Lord. Even suffering, affliction, difficulty, because those are often the things that grow us. But in those things, be comforted by God. And then he says, be of one mind. If we want to be a church that's united and powerful, we have to be of one mind. That doesn't mean we're robots. It means we're all individuals who want God's will. And if we have a group of people who are surrendered to glorifying God, then we'll have the power of God working through that church. That's very important. He says, live in peace 
And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's why context is so important. Means be very friendly towards one another. We don't kiss each other holy in a holy fashion. So that's out of context, but you can hug or shake or, I don't know, if you're foreign and you do this side kiss in your culture, I guess that's okay, but just don't do that to me. (laughs) But be friendly. The point is be friendly with each other. And then he says, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. So that's it. That's it. You guys made it through 2 Corinthians. And next week we start Galatians. So that's going to go really fast, by the way. But good job if you made it through the whole book of 2 Corinthians. We actually finished early. So that means you guys can talk to each other more if you want. (laughs) Or you can leave faster, get home faster. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would bless them, Lord. I pray that each one of us would examine ourselves, Lord. That's so important. Um, Let us allow you, Lord, to search our heart to see if there's any unclean thing within us, Lord. And and we just present ourselves to you to do that, Lord. Help us to grow, be passionate about growing, about serving, about glorifying you, about being united, about spending ourselves, Lord, for others. Let us take these words in our heart and our minds and let us be about them. Let your Holy Spirit make them real and draw them out of us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great night. And Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday.